Welcome to Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis, your host. As a writer, speaker, and former legislator, we discuss limiting government, fiscal responsibility, and fair taxation. I'm a mother of seven and a wife of one for over three decades, so I bring you my personal experience. And now it's time for Homefront with Cynthia Davis. Welcome to another edition of Homefront. I'm Cynthia Davis. We are going to have a wonderful visit tonight with Mitch Hubbard. Mitch ran for Secretary of State in the state of Missouri in 2008. And thank you, Mitch, for joining us tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to be on your program, Cynthia. Well, you've had quite an interesting opportunity to see Missouri from another angle The thing that's dangerous about elections is if we lose control of the election process, we will never get it back again to get good people elected to fix it. So that's a topic that is of particular interest to people who care about liberty, freedom, keeping our country with the values that we have, and allowing good people to be able to get elected. So what prompted you to run for Secretary of State? Well, in in 2006, I was working with a group called Missourians Against Human Cloning, and essentially there was a ballot initiative started by another group, and they wanted to ensure that they had the right to have human cloning in the state of Missouri. And the the ballot title they wrote was very deceptive, or I should say that Robin Carnahan wrote. She wrote the ballot title that actually would go on the ballot for voters to read. And it basically what the, the initiative did was it changed the definition of cloning. It pretended or stated that it was banning human cloning, but in fact, in the language, it actually guaranteed human cloning because the scientific definition of human cloning is somatic cell nuclear transfer. And this initiative actually guaranteed the right to have somatic cell nuclear transfer enshrined in our Constitution. What they prohibited was um, reproductive cloning, where you would implant the cloned embryo into a, a woman and she would give birth. That they prohibited, and what they actually did was they did something called clone and kill, where you could create, or another term is therapeutic cloning, where you could create these cloned embryos, do research on them, and after a certain point, they had to be destroyed. So you're creating life and destroying it. And our our former Secretary of State, Robin Carnahan, wrote the language saying that it was prohibiting human cloning, when, when in fact it was not. It was actually guaranteeing the right to do human cloning in Missouri. So we fought that battle. And then um, the next year, we were trying to truly be in human cloning. So I worked with a group called Cures Without Cloning, and we filed a ballot initiative, and the ballot title was insufficient and unfair. And the courts actually ruled that it was insufficient and unfair. And what most people don't realize is that the Secretary of State is given great deference in their ballot title. It is the responsibility of those challenging that title to prove that it's insufficient and unfair, and it's a very high standard. In fact, no no Secretary of State had ever been overturned, ever, before Robin Carnahan, and she was overturned twice in 2006. 
and one of them was the initiative the group I was working with filed. And what's really significant is what the courts have to find in order to overturn the Secretary of State's ballot language. And what they have to find is that the ballot title was written inadequately and with bias, prejudice, deception, and or favoritism. So this is a ballot title that the voters are going to vote on. So you have a Secretary of State that wrote a ballot title that was inadequate and with bias, prejudice, deception, and or favoritism. You know, the role of the Secretary of State is to have fair elections, and the ballot titles need to be unbiased. They need to be neutrally worded. And we have a secretary had a Secretary of State that simply would not do that, although she was eventually, I believe, overturned four times. The year that I ran, she had been overturned two times at that point, and we, I knew that somebody had to run against her. We couldn't allow Missourians to be deceived when they went to vote. This is a, you know, this is a right that we have to have fair elections. You know, it's what our country is founded on. So I was trying to find somebody to run, make sure we had somebody to run for Secretary of State against Robin Carnahan. And there was a couple of names that came out. Senator Delbert Scott, uh, he was planning on running or had talked about possibly running. And Jack Jackson had considered running. So I was in contact with, with both of those gentlemen, and they both decided they were not going to run for Secretary of State. So there was nobody to run for Secretary of State against Robin Carnahan. So my wife and I prayed about it, and we're hoping somebody would file. Came to the first filing day, nobody filed, and I believe 11 days into the filing, I decided to go ahead and file with the hopes that somebody else would file, and then I would step out of that race. But it didn't happen, so I ran because we had to have somebody to challenge Robin Carnahan and hopefully defeat her so that we could have fair ballot language because that's what the citizens deserved. That's amazing. Let me give our listeners a little more background because we do have people from all over the country, really, who may not be as familiar with the Carnahan name, but in 2004, we had the Speaker of the House run for Secretary of State because it was an open seat. And the Secretary of State should go to somebody who's a Republican, who is in control of things. It, this woman is already established as a current office holder. The person who ran against her had never held office before. It just so happens though, Everybody that she was the daughter of a former governor who had died in a plane crash. And just just like the Kennedy name has gone on in infamy because there was a tragedy. So likewise, if you really want your children to get elected, it's much easier if you die <laughs> while in office. So anyway, very sad. The whole story was sad. But when her father died, that pretty much enshrined the Carnahan name into Missouri politics. And so... She ran and beat the current uh, woman who was running against her, Rob, uh, Catherine Hannaway. And I believe what the Republican Party did is they said, well, if even Catherine Hannaway cannot beat Robin Carnahan, there's no point. And so you ran. And how much did you raise for your entire statewide office? Uh, I'm not, I don't remember the exact amount, but it was under 30000 Which is 
unbelievable that we could have you successfully and victoriously win the Republican nomination, which is a high hurdle for many others. You you were the Republican nominee, and then the Republican Party didn't stand with you. They pretty much left you on your own and said, we're not even going to help them. There were very few people who came and promoted you and let the world know that you were the good guy. And even despite their lack of help, and so you still got over a million votes, which is very impressive. That's something to tell your mother about. And yet, with all the efforts, it just amazed me. With just a little more help, how many votes did your opponent get? Do you know? They they got about one and a half to one point seven million, I believe. So it makes you want another three to four hundred thousand, and we could have won. Kind of makes you wonder what would have happened if you'd had three or four hundred thousand more. If people had actually tried, we could have had a whole different outcome. But nevertheless, uh, going back to the where we are today, you walked into my office while I was in the state legislature. And you wanted to talk to me about a bill that was coming before our elections committee. And since I was on the elections committee, I take that very seriously that we get this right. We need to. We owe it to our citizens to make sure that everything is done fair and square. So were we talking about voting machines versus paper ballots? I think that might have been part of it. Also, right then, the big thing was photo ID, and and the Republicans wanted to combine photo ID and early voting, and those issues were also kind of on the table that year. What's amazing to me is why, let me explain for my friends out there, Missouri does not have a photo ID requirement, nor do we do early voting. The Secretary of State at the time was a Democrat, and she was pushing for early voting. However, I was talking with an expert in the industry, and he told me of all the legislation we could have in Missouri, early voting would be the most damaging of all. The reason is because that opens the door for fraud and intimidation. If we don't want people to be bullied... And in states where they have early voting, you can already observe what they're doing to themselves. The Most of the state's election authorities have a way for people to see who's voted and who hasn't now that they have early voting. And so what they're doing is taking people who vote early and um, they're scratching them off the list. And if somebody's not voted yet... The mostly the union bosses will make them go vote. And some states, they're asking people to take a picture of their ballot marked with all their Democrats that they were pre-selected to vote for, and they're insisting they take a picture and bring it out and show it to them. Now, in many cases, they'll get paid for, for voting for the right people, and that's their proof. So in Missouri, we did pass a law that says you can't take a picture of your ballot. Although I have to say, after my election in in November of this year, I had several people 
take a picture with my name on it, voted for, and put it on my Facebook just to make me feel good. And that was very sweet. I appreciate everybody who would do that. I just want you to know the reason behind the law was to make sure that people wouldn't be bullied into doing it. So going back to this, I don't understand why with the Republicans in a clear large majority in both the House and Senate, why it would be necessary to try and appease the Democrats who want to turn our elections into a free-for-all. Can you explain that to me? Well, it doesn't make rational sense to me why you would want to combine photo ID and early voting. We need just photo ID. But going back to Carnahan real quick, you know, one of the things she said when I ran against her, and it was toward the very end of the campaign, and she said it in a newspaper, I believe, and, and, and is in northeast Missouri, I can't remember which town, that said that voter um, registration was a waste of time. Essentially what she was pushing for as well as early voting is same-day voter registration and voting, or just showing up at the polls and voting. And this is a huge problem, and essentially, you know, the Republicans have had a problem with protecting voter integrity. I'm not sure why. You know, they stand for the right things, or at least posture that way, but we haven't had a Republican except for the two Blunts, Roy Blunt and Matt Blunt. We've had two Republicans, and that's, you know, two Republicans in, in 80 years in the Secretary of State's office. The Republican Party has not taken that office seriously. They have focused more on the governor's race. And then when it comes to early voting, they have tried to compromise with the Democrats in order to get photo ID. And instead of looking at the majorities they have, which right now they don't need a single Democratic vote to pass photo ID, and it would pass by 70% or, or higher in the state of Missouri if it was actually on the ballot, they could do it. So why, why they compromise is beyond me. But the thing about early voting is that, one, there's been research coming out recently talking of looking at does it actually increase voting? Because that's the big thing that Carnahan and our current Secretary of State, who was just elected in 2012, Cander, says that it will increase voting. Actually, they found that, one, if it does increase it, it's very marginal. But, two, it, it actually decreases it in many areas. And one study found that, look, one study said that overall, and this was in the New York Times, I can't remember what the name of the study was, but said that it actually decreased voting by 3% in those states that had 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 early voting. Why would that be? Well, they had given a couple of reasons. One reason was that just just the peer pressure, you know, in some of these states, a third of people vote early. So when you go to the office, you don't see the I voted stickers. And they said that sometimes in those states where high numbers of people voted early, there's less of a get-out-the-vote effort because it's diminished. So the national campaigns look at other states. It's like, you know, this past election, although we don't have early voting, the Romney campaign pretty much bypassed Missouri. I don't know that he really appeared here at all. And that, that happens in other states when you have high numbers of early voting. They, they spend their get-out-the-vote effort on states where people are waiting on the last day. The other problem with early voting is, like you said, it increases the risk of fraud. There was a, a friend of mine who went and volunteered in, in St. Louis. I'm not sure which precinct, but it was in St. Louis County. And they actually had people there handing out who to vote for to every voter going into the polls. And these
these people were taking that in with them and voting straight off of that. And, and it was, I think, a union or a Democratic person doing that. And that that is ridiculous. But, you know, another problem that the Republicans have failed to address is absentee voting. You know, absentee voting is very essential for our military and for people who are going to be out of state. But that is where even Robin Carney had admitted this in a debate that I had with her. Absentee voting is where the greatest possibility for election fraud exists. Because essentially, like you said, they, the people who are committing this fraud know who voted and, and who didn't, and they, the people who haven't voted, and they can fill in ballots if they're able to get a hold of them. And this happened in several cases. One case was in Alabama. Another case was in Florida in, in Democratic primaries where four to 5,000 absentee ballots were turned in fraudulently filled out. And in, in Alabama, the elected officials were involved in this. They were just had an assembly line filling these out. And it was, eventually was turned out, turned, turned over. And the, you know, it was a, the community was 80% black. And, you know, so it was, it was black Democrats committing election fraud against their opponents. Because one of the things that the other side always says is that, well, this is, you know, this is discriminatory. It, it undermines the black vote or the minority vote is trying to keep the poor away from the voting booths. Actually, what happened is that the citizens of that county in Alabama wanted tougher voter laws. And actually, after the elected officials were prosecuted and kicked out of office, voter turnout actually turned up, increased. So photo ID will, will help reduce election fraud. But one of the things that we have missed in Missouri, when we've done, tried to write photo ID laws, we have failed to add a law dealing with absentee ballots, which for most cases you could simply, you have to often get those notarized. Now, there are exceptions. If you're permanently disabled, they don't have to get the, it notarized. But when they're getting it notarized, if it, for most people who are voting by voting absentee and sending it in, they have to get it notarized. Well, along with that, you could turn in a photocopy of your photo ID, and that way you wouldn't have an assembly line of people filling out the, those absentee ballots and committing fraud. So that, that's one solution that I think we need to address. And, and early voting doesn't increase voter turnout. It increases the perception of voter fraud. It actually to some degree, may increase voter fraud because you have more time for people to be pressured to go out and vote. And it costs counties a lot of money. Depending on the type of early voting, if you have to have polling places that are open outside of the, the county clerk's office, then you have to have staff covering those all the time. You have to have two Republicans and two Democrats watching those ballots. And then now those ballots are sitting for six weeks or a month waiting to be counted, which, you know, if, if the election authorities is doing their job, they still should be secure, but you still have that extra extra risk. At least the perception of, of that risk is there, whereas on election day, you have a Democrat and a Republican watching those ballots, ballots constantly. It's never to be out of their sight until they get to the election authority where you have a bipartisan team of a Democrat and a Republican counting the ballots. So having it all in one day and requiring photo ID greatly reduces actual voter fraud. And 
just as importantly, it increases the perception of voter integrity, which actually will increase voter turnout. Well, in addition to this, if you're truly too lazy to go vote on election day, we do have a by <laughs> we have a bypass that we've already provided for in law. If you're going to be out of town, or if you have to work that day out of the district, or if there's some other very good reason, you you only have to claim that you have those reasons why you cannot vote on election day. You don't need a note from your mother or your doctor. It is very easy. While I was in the legislature, I voted absentee all the time when we were in session because I was in Jefferson City on, on the April elections usually, and it would have been physically impossible. And yet, for them to say, well, there are too many people who still can't. Let me talk to you about the hardship that was made up, fabricated over the photo ID law because while I was in Jefferson City, my committee and the whole legislature did pass a photo ID bill and it went to the Supreme Court of Missouri. The Supreme Court overturned it and said it is unconstitutional because the threshold is too high for requiring people to get a photo, that there are people who may not have photos, may not be able to get photos. The legislature said, even if you don't have the money to get a photo ID, we'll give one to you anyway, just to be nice, at the cost to the taxpayers. And the Supreme Court said, no, that just would be too difficult. And I am amazed that they could get away with that because... Um, you know, when you think about it, it does cost all of us something to go vote. You have to get in your car and drive to the polling place. Or even if you live close enough, you can walk. You, you have to get out your, walk out your door and walk to the precinct. Most people do drive, but you have to get in your car and drive to the precinct. That's going to cost you gas. You, if you put one dime of gas in your tank, then using our Supreme Court's theory, you could claim that that cost you money to vote, and it shouldn't cost you anything to vote. It should all be free. Another point, you are not allowed to go into the election place and vote if you are naked. So, therefore, you have to buy clothes and shirt and shoes. No, Remember the old expression, no shoes, no shirt, no service, okay? So, what if you don't have shoes? Does that mean you're not allowed to vote? I'm just, I'm being facetious, but that's how the Supreme Court came around that logic. Am I right on that, or did you have a different take on it? No, I mean, that's, that's basically the logic is that it would cost money. And, you know, and, and another issue along those lines is, is Carnahan and those pushing for, against photo ID, claim that there's about 240,000, 250,000 registered voters who do not have driver's licenses, and, and they compare the Department of Revenue statistics with the, the counties and who's, who's registered voters, and they compare those, and if they're not registered, if they're not, they don't have the driver's license, then they, that's where they get their number from. But there was a study done this last year by, by some of the Republicans, I believe, I'm not sure who did the study, but what they found out is that most of those were discrepancies where you had somebody would have their driver's license in Robert S. Jones, 
but he may have his voting record as Robert Jones, so the two wouldn't match up. And they found that only about 3% of the cases were there actually issues where the person didn't have a driver's license that was voting. Now, whether these people were illegal aliens or were uh, unable to drive for some other reason, we don't know. But the point is that it's a very small percentage. So to me, I, I've always felt that the solution is exactly what the legislature did, pay for a non-driving photo ID for a person to vote, and if need be, the secretary through the Secretary of State's office, help them obtain their supporting documents, whether that be a marriage license or a Social Security card, because the cost will be pretty minimal, and once it's in place, we won't have very many of those situations, so we can allow everybody to vote that way. You know, and getting back to early voting, you know, one of the issues with that was this last, not this last session, but the session before, they tried to pass a combined early voting and photo ID. It was estimated to cost $6 million the first year for early for early voting, and 2 to $3 million a year every year after that. So it's an incredible expense to the state in some of these counties, and the, the issue with that year with the legislation was that they actually had language in there that said, since they combined photo ID and early voting together, it actually said that if the legislature fails to fund the cost of early, of early voting or photo ID, then the other won't be funded. So essentially, you could have a situation where you get people like Robin Carnahan in power which would tend to be the Democrats, but you, attend, you get them in power, and then you've got a situation where they don't fund photo ID, or, or, and then as a result, you get early voting without photo ID. Because as long, if they don't fund one, they don't have to enforce it, but if they fund the other one, they do. So if they fund early voting, then early voting is funded, and the county clerks have to implement it. But if they don't fund photo ID, even if it costs $1, then photo ID won't be enforced. So you wind up with a situation where you've got people voting early without any proof of who they are through photo ID, because right now you can just show, show a utility bill. Or there are several things you can show, but a utility bill, which you could get out of anybody's mailbox and go in and say, yes, I'm this person, and they have to let you vote. Well, and to remind you, too, of how ridiculous it got during our elections committee, we had a proposal to have a mobile van go around to different people's houses and help them get registered and give them a photo ID. And that, to me, I mean, Missouri has some very rural areas. Their point was, well, why should it cost the voter any money to go to a license bureau and get a free photo ID? Then they're having to... Uh, lift a finger to get it, <laughs> and they shouldn't have to do anything. They shouldn't have to exert any effort. It should be just as it was before. You will never make enough laws or construct them in such a manner where it won't cost anybody anything. But let's talk for a minute about the Patriot Movement that you're working on. I, I met you not only in my office, but subsequently we were at several grassroots types of meetings, some Tea Party meetings, the the Callaway County Tea Party. What is happening to the Patriot Movement across Missouri? 
Well, I think what's happened is after the 2010 elections, the numbers of people actively involved started diminishing because they, I think what typically happens is you have a victory. We saw that we elected, you know, more conservative people to office, and as a result, people have kind of stepped back. And right now, honestly, we need to be gearing up and bringing them out more because we are facing some serious challenges that aren't going to be solved simply by electing, you know, one one election's worth of folks. We we need a lot more going on with the Patriot Movement movement. Not just not just on the national level, but on the state and local level. We're facing many challenges to property rights and those types of issues. And and here in Callaway, we actually have been dealing with uh, an enhanced enterprise zone, which would which would have blighted 20% of the county. And we had about 150 people get involved actively to fight that. And as of now, I believe it's dead. It's not officially dead, but I, I don't think it's going anywhere because those people got involved. If we just had a handful, it would have gotten pushed through. So I think the patriots are still there, but they're not activated, and they're not, not as motivated as they were, and we really need to be more motivated because threats to our gun rights and to our property rights are, are very real, and we need, we need to get more motivated. Where were they during the 2012 elections? I, th- I think there were several factors in 2012. One, they were out there in 2010. We had conservative candidates running. They supported them. In 2012, I think the, the dynamic we saw, at least here in Missouri, and I think it's probably true in other states, is that the many of the patriots felt like their voice wasn't being heard. So, some of them were, you know, supporters of different presidential candidates. You know, maybe maybe they supported Santorum or perhaps they supported um, Herman Cain. Others supported Ron Paul. But here in Missouri, I don't know that most people realize this, but we were supposed to have a presidential primary, and the presidential primary was supposed to be decide who Missouri supported for president. And, of course, we had the presidential primary. It cost about $7 million to the taxpayers, and Rick Santorum won that overwhelmingly. But what happened is the Republican Party decided that instead of having the primary, they wanted to have a caucus. And as a result... We had a primary that didn't count, and we had a caucus in which the party and the party leadership has changed now as far as at the state level. We have a new chairman. But the, part, the party chairman and the party leadership at the time was strongly behind Mitt Romney, and they used any tactic they could to help him win Missouri, and they needed the caucus in order to do that. So I strongly believe that they used the caucus to get Romney the state of Missouri because Santorum would have carried that otherwise. And then once we were in I was a delegate for Rick Santorum. Once we were in that battle, they, they used their power to um, get him even more votes because they had made promises to the, to the Santorum camp that they would split things 50-50 if they worked together. And in the end, they actually gave... Santorum many less votes than they were supposed to, and actually, I heard reports from good friends of mine who were who were.
quorum delegates were told not to fill it out, and the party actually filled in Mitt Romney for them. Well, just to lend a little clarity out of the murky waters of what happened and to help people who live in other states, this is a classic reason why the state government should have nothing to do with political parties. For those who are free from it, good for you. But for our state, we actually had a state law that required our state to spend seven million dollars on not they didn't put a dollar amount but the seven million we spent was required by state law that we have conduct a primary we actually the let not my legislature when i was there but a previous state legislature put into our state statutes that our state must hold a primary and then the republican party national said, we are not going to let you hold a primary, (laughs) and our state laws are not that flexible to be able to change on the whim of any political party, so that's why the state had to hold it. It was open to the, all the parties could participate in it, so Barack Obama's name was on the ballot for the primary nomination for the Democrats, but that seemed a foregone conclusion that they really didn't need to know who they wanted for Barack, if they wanted Barack Obama to be their presidential nominee. Here in Missouri, we had people on the ballot for the primary who were no longer even running by the time the caucus time came around. So it was truly a ridiculous exercise in futility. And if anybody has any desire to talk to your state legislator about a good agenda item, why don't you suggest that they not have their state pass laws that really only benefit one political party? We're in trouble. This country is headed for some darker days if we can't get better people in office who understand the dynamics of how to be fair and honest. The part that amazed me most about our election committee is always it seemed to divide along partisan lines that the Republicans were more in favor of voter integrity and the Democrats were more in favor of turning it into a free-for-all. And that really shocked me. Now, you might say, well, why ever would you be shocked by that? But it's because... I had believed that people of both parties want to have the elections be fair and square. And it took away my appreciation of any office holder who would not want to keep the elections upright, honorable, make sure there's some kind of integrity. I had a big fight with the elections committee over trying to make them prove they're citizens. Did you know in the state of Missouri... To get, to get, to be privileged to be able to vote, all you have to do is claim you're a resident of a certain political district. You can register to vote just by signing a card that says, basically, I live here and I'm qualified to vote. And there is no scrutiny. There's nobody checking up on it. There's nobody who verifies if you are a citizen or not. And when you hear all this discussion of illegal aliens coming in and voting, and people say, but they're not allowed to vote if they're not citizens, well, who is monitoring that? And if you don't monitor it, how do you know that only the citizens of the United States are voting? Well, that's one of the problems. 
problems with, with early voting and absentee voting and certainly same-day registration and voting because they've had lots of situations where people show up to vote and register. There's no time if they're registering on the same day as the election that the election authorities can verify whether they're a citizen or whether they're a felon, which they do have a database and, and they're, that's updated pretty regularly and they check that. So if, under normal circumstances where you register to vote a few weeks out from the actual voting date, there's time for the election officials to verify some of those things. And I think you're right that checking citizenship status is much more difficult than checking felons, but at least there's some process there. But, I, but it, when you have same-day voting and registration, which is a big movement, and, and several states have it, you have a situation where you have, have that fraud. You know, I was in Iowa last year during, or in, during the presidential primaries, and I was up there one day, and they had somebody speaking to us about Iowa. And I think they've, they, they've since changed some things, but they had same-day voter registration and voting, and in order to vote in Iowa, you simply had to show, this was in, in 2008 when, when Obama was first elected, you simply had to show or, or have a signature by one or two people stating that they knew who you were. I think it was one person that was a citizen stating they knew who you were. Well, what they had in these counties is they had at each polling place, or at least each key polling place, they had an attorney sitting there with the computer. And as these citizens would come up, he would print out the form and sign it, and they would turn that in. He was signing that he knew who they were, or, or they, were, they were filling it out from there. And basically there were serious problems with the integrity of that election. And like I said, I believe Iowa has addressed some of those issues, but... That's a, a serious situation, so we do have to be more vigilant. And I think that if you had a Secretary of State that would lead on those type of issues, then the voters would be more secure in voting, and you'd be able to stop much of that fraud. But right now we have a, you know, a Secretary of State who doesn't believe there's an issue with election fraud. And he wants the early voting and doesn't want to do the test on integrity. When I was campaigning for lieutenant governor, I had opportunities to go all over the state. And one day I was in St. Joseph, Missouri, and had a little extra time, so I stopped into an antique mall. And of all surprises, I picked up a book that was printed in 1888. And it was on such a wide variety of topics that that's how they wrote books back then, just one book with everything you'd ever want to know about life. And they yet they had a chapter in there about elections and a cautionary note about how bad election fraud is and how horrible it is. And I'm like, really? This is 1888? You had election fraud back then? <laughs> Tell me. I mean, I think the point is that the heart of man is, wicked it requires us to be ever vigilant that's why we need police officers though so is there anything last last closing parting thought that you want our listeners to know i think the last thing i would say and it's not specific to elections is just that we need to be more vigilant with who we're voting for we need to focus on not what they're saying or even what their votes are but on the important issues such as obamacare we have candidates who, or, or elected officials, congressmen, who will vote to repeal Obamacare.
Obamacare knowing that, that it won't pass, but when it actually comes time to vote for funding Obamacare, that's when we need to watch. If these candidates vote to fund Obamacare, they have failed us no matter how many times they voted to end Obamacare because they're actually funding it. We need to stop listening to what they're saying and their talking points about all the votes they did that were good and focus on what, when it really matters, how did they vote. Or if they vote for an amendment, that's great, but the amendment fails, and then they vote for the bill that was bad without the amendment. That happens very often. You have somebody put this amendment out there to this bill that has some bad language. The amendment fails, and then they still vote for, for the bill. If we will start watching that, then we'll start electing men and women of integrity, and we can start changing our country. That sounds like a good piece of advice. So how do you pick who you're going to vote for? I, I look at the Constitution and principles, and if they line up with Christian principles and constitutional principles, then, then I vote for them. You know, I don't expect any candidate to be perfect, but I look at the pattern of their votes. If they make one mistake or two, that's one thing, but if they're consistently voting against the Constitution, then that's not a candidate I'm going to support regardless of what party they're from. What about a candidate who votes for all these continuing resolutions uh, saying that we're just voting to keep the budget as it is? How does that fly? I think that it doesn't fly very well with me. I think that John Boehner and the Republican leadership in the House have absolutely failed because no budget bill passes without coming from the House and being approved by the House. The fact that we continue funding Obamacare and money for Planned Parenthood and all of these things that are, are immoral and will destroy our nation, and we don't hold the Senate and force them to vote on a real, real budget, to me is a failure of the Republican leadership. I'm not saying it's a failure of every Republican or every member of Congress, but the leadership has failed and those who are voting for those things need to be held accountable. And probably you're going to say the only way to right the train is to just vote for better people. Am I right? Well, I, I wouldn't say that the only way to right the train is to vote for better people. I think, yes, we have to vote for people that will uphold the Constitution. Also, we need to get rid of the tiny complex. And, and I don't know if I have time to discuss that or not, but Janet Folgers, she's been married now, and I can't remember her married name, but Janet Folger wrote a book several years ago, and it talked about Tiny, and Tiny was an elephant. And in circuses, they have baby elephants, and they tie them with a chain and a little stick in the ground. They can't get free. Over time, they quit trying because when, when the chain jerks, they stop pulling because they know they can't get free. So you have these massive, full-grown African elephants held by this little stake because they have that syndrome in their mind that I can't break free. They are much more powerful than that stake. I think the same thing is with the citizens of America. We have allowed our politicians to dictate to us what they're doing, but this is a government of we the people, and they have no authority except for what we have given them. If the American people would wake up and realize the power we have, we could put fear into our elected officials. And when they fear us, we have freedom. And that's that's the main thing. We need to vote for the right people, but we need to show them that we have the power and we will not simply vote for them because they are the lesser of two evils. 
that can no longer happen. Because if we continue voting that way, we will continue to see our country decline. That's really good. Well, thank you for joining us, Mitch. You've been a pleasure and a delight. I hope that you'll be able to come back and visit with us again sometime, will you? I definitely will, and thank you, Cynthia. Thank you, Mitch, and good night, everybody. This has been another edition of Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis and hope you enjoyed our program. Please join us next week when we offer another infusion of truth, honesty, and solutions that will grow people bigger and shrink government smaller. Thank you for joining us. See you next week. Yeah.